As you're getting seated there, go ahead and pull out your Bible, open for the very last time to the book of James chapter five. We finished our series today. And as you can tell right away, we're doing this a little different. I've invited some friends from our church to help me this morning. This is Mitsumi Odegaard and her lovely husband, Ryan Odegaard. And we're glad to have Mitsumi and Ryan with us today. This is Chris Dunning with me on my, on my left. And um, the reason that I have invited Mitsumi and Ryan and Chris to join me is that both of these, these folks have a James 5 story to tell. James chapter 5. If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And so in 2012, Mitsumi, I'll tell you a little bit of her story. In 2012, Mitsumi uh, was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma blood cancer. She was developing uh, growth uh, lumps under her skin and she was experiencing deep pain and weariness. And uh, this is a picture of her PET scan that she received from her doctor. That is the places in her body where she had blood cancer. Um, uh, and so she, when, as she met with her doctor and he looked at the biopsy and he looked at the PET scan, he told her, you, you needed to be on the most aggressive form of chemotherapy like yesterday. And Chris Dunning, who has been one of our elders since 2008, um, in the, on December 7th, 2017, Chris went in for a somewhat routine heart valve repair. Uh, he went under on a Thursday and they didn't bring him out until Saturday evening because in the process of a routine uh, surgery, a mistake was made, a valve was nicked. And so two open heart surgeries later, Chris came out. Um, I remember getting a phone call from Kathleen on Saturday morning when they were doing the second open heart surgery. And she said, Adam, I need you to come down here. I don't know if Chris is gonna make it. So I drove down and um, then subsequently, Chris had a third open heart surgery eight months later because the, the, the two open heart surgeries did not work. They did a full valve replacement. And that has left Chris uh, basically with a heart that functions about 20% capacity. He's basically in uh, chronic heart failure uh, for all intents and purposes. And so both of these folks have a story to tell. They're different stories. They're different stories, but I'm really thankful to have them both up here. Would you give them a round of applause first and we'll just say. So Mitsumi, let's start with you. Would you just describe to the church, where were you at spiritually when you got your cancer diagnosis? Well, I grew up as a Christian, um, but I was, I was coming to church, but I was not um, plugged into God's community very well. Like I was coming to church, but I was not in a Bible study or um, community group at that time. Um, and the, when I received the stage four cancer, the news, um, I kept asking God, why? Why me? Um, why, what did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. And um, why my family needs to suffer? Why things shatter right in front of me? I kept asking why, why, why. Um, yeah. 
Um, the fear of death, the reality, we had two little kids, two and six that time. So my entire focus was all on how we can survive that day. And I forgot about God. I even forgot praying, asking prayer, um, um, even accepting prayer. So I thought I was in faith, but I wasn't in faith 100% in Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Ryan, you want to? Yeah, I echo exactly what Mitsumi said. Like, uh, I was also raised a Christian, but we had been away for a while. And, um, uh, but we'd been coming to church for a couple of years before uh, she was diagnosed. And, um, you know, we weren't connected much to the community at all, but, you know, we were kind of on our path back. And then we got hit with that news, and it's just incredible um, when you uh, you realize you don't have the control over your life that you thought you did, mm. <laughs> and um, how much uh, you depend on on God and prayer and people, and that was just a real you know wake up call for us. Wow. So you started to reach out to the church. You asked for some prayer. Let's see, just describe what, what, what was that like to receive prayer? You have some amazing stories about those experiences. Yeah, so my cancer was aggressive, so my treatment was really aggressive. So because of that, I was lifeless. I wasn't really sure if anyone was talking to me or I was asleep or even I was alive. Um, and... Many times I thought, oh, I'm not going to make it. That's what I went through. And I was like walking in the fog. But um, one thing I could feel and see was a strong stream of prayer coming through my body. Mm. Um, it was really strong. And um, it was like, um, like white prayer clouds just coming through my head and pushing my cancer away to my pushing away like to the toe and I was always like shaking my hands and shaking my feet to mm. <laughs> pushing my cancer away that was that much I, I was since I was weak I could feel the prayer really strongly like strong energy coming through um, so prayer held my life um, when our body and our heart was um, filled with pain and suffering, God showed his presence through prayer. Uh, yeah. Um, well, this church handles prayer a little bit, community prayer, a little bit different than they did. Back then, you would fill out a comment card or a prayer card, and you would put it in the box at the back. <laughs> we do it a little differently now, but... <clears throat> Uh, very shortly after we got the diagnosis from her, we filled out one of those prayer cards and put it in the box. And almost immediately, uh, we got a call from an elder at the church. Um, we were in the middle of an out-of-body experience. So I don't know who called us. It might have been you, Adam. I don't know. <laughs> but, I mean, just the immediate response from uh, God's community, specifically this church, was just so powerful and uplifting. Um, 
pastor guy came to our house specifically and um, answered a lot of our questions and prayed very deeply with us. Um, like I said before, we just felt like we were having an out-of-body experience, lost control of everything. And just this church's prayer really lifted us up. It feels like literally physically, um, but also spiritually. Um, we just kept getting signs of mm -hmm. God's will just put right in front of us. And we have no decision other than just to follow what we see in front of us. So uh, the, the church body, the hospital, the doctors, the nurses, um, all the support we got from the community was all through the power of prayer. So, wow. yeah, Amen. And God, God's powerful. He, He healed you, didn't He? Do you want to just tell this, this, a little bit of the story of what happened with that and the healing you received? Um, yeah. So after, um, so I did six series of chemo, and um, first one and two was crazy enough, but doctor was telling me, it's going to be crazy for the third one, and it's going to be more crazy for the fourth one, and mm. I just want you to hold on <laughs> And um, after fourth, um, I did, we did PET scan, I did PET scan, and I got called from my doctor in the car um, when we were driving somewhere, I forgot. Um, and he said, you're in remission. And mm -hmm. I was like, what do you mean? Like, your cancer is all gone from your body. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> wow. I was, um, that was a miracle. Mm -hmm. It was really a miracle. I was, it was growing every day. Before the chemo, it was growing. I could see it was spread to my, all my skin. So I could see a golf ball pops up on my skin every single day. And that was all gone. And I was just, I was shocking. We couldn't really say anything. We were like, whoa. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Talk about a little bit about, so what, looking back now, mm -hmm. what lessons have you learned about God, about, about the gospel, about his grace? How has God changed you? Yeah, it took me that much to be humble and surrender to God. Um, God paid the price to send, um, by sending Jesus to cry, a cross. Um, I can't even imagine how painful it was to send his own son to the cross. And also that Jesus took the pain and suffering. He took everything for us. So we get to live with his grace, um, God's grace. So I learned all we need to do is to, to have true, true faith in Jesus. Um, I think God gave, me, uh, God gave me the opportunity to reset my spiritual life. Mm -hmm. um, prayer held my body. It also brought me, my, uh, brought me a new spiritual life. And I can't thank enough to revolve as pastors and elders and all our friends in God's community. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if, you know, what came out of this for me was a discovery that uh, you'll find out real fast, like how deep and how strong your faith is. And 
you have to just put everything you have into that um, and completely surrender yourself and you'll see God's miracles and those prayers be answered uh, according to his will. Um, and that will might not always line up with what I want to do, but um, um, through through faith, you can start to see what his will is, and mm -hmm. it's you know my responsibility to kind of follow that through and and be a part of that answer to prayer. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for telling your story. Thank you. Yeah. I. Uh, when Mitsumi and I were spending some time together, I asked her if she'd be willing to read part of our passage in her native tongue of Japanese and kind of hear her read it. I thought that'd be really neat. So I'm going to put it up in English and let you see, but ask Mitsumi to read this text. So. Okay, here you go. 信仰に基づく祈りは病人を救い、主がその人を起き上がらせてくださいます。その人が罪を犯したのであれば、主が許してくださいます。Love on the receiving end of that prayer, what was that like and kind of what were the events that led up to that? So. Like you just said, we've had, I've had the privilege of maybe praying with some of you out there and others and that, <clears throat> just that being able to do that is, is amazing. And then seeing results of that is, is also amazing. And yes, it's humbling when you go there. Um, and it was humbling for us to go there when we were with the elder team a couple of weeks ago after we had gotten some not so great news from uh, a doctor call up at the University of Washington as we're continuing through in this process. We came back going, you know, God. That was kind of a gut punch. It wasn't a Mike Tyson gut punch, but it was a gut, it was a gut mm. punch. Um, and so you had reached out to us and said, well, hey, why don't you guys come and we'll pray for you guys. Um, and so that in and of itself is a, an act of faith. And it was an act, it's an act of faith for you all as we hear your story uh, to be able to go and say, yes, you know, Please pray for us as we are coming to you as an act of faith, as out of scripture that says, come to the elders and pray. You know, there's, we, we anoint with oil, but you know, there's no magic in, you know, the Crisco or whatever we use uh, to put on your forehead. You know, there's no magic in that. It's just, it's a symbol, um, but it's an act of faith as well. Um, so it is, it's an honor for me and for the other elders, I can't see if there's any others out there, but for us to be able to pray for those that come um, for prayer for that. And so as of right now, you are still in your story and you're still living with this situation with your heart. But in many conversations with you, you know, you've told me God's answered prayer in a lot of other ways. Just share a little bit of some, what are the, some of the things that God's done in your life through this whole journey? Some of the many things. One, when we 
after we, I, I went in for the surgery, like, like Adam said, I went in on a Thursday morning, woke up Saturday afternoon, Kathleen was there by the bed, and uh, this, I think it was the nurse or someone was shaking my arm saying, Chris, do you know where you're at? Do you know what happened? And do you know what day it is? And you know, my answer was, yeah, I'm at Emmanuel Hospital. I had a quote-unquote, routine bypass, a routine heart valve repair, and it's Thursday afternoon. And Kathleen leans in and says, "Hun, it's Saturday afternoon. Mm. And I was like, what the? Mm. <laughs> and so that in and of itself was kind of the beginning because my fear going in, to it was very minimal. I mean, I come out of the healthcare industry, so I know hospitals aren't the cleanest places in the world. Um, and so my fear was actually just the fear of getting an infection. Um, clearly, I got a little more than just an infection. Um, you know, my survey is not going to get five stars um, when, I, when I filled out the survey at the end. Um, but there's been many times where I've been able to talk with uh, others. I mean, you've heard this, Adam, many times, and some of the people in, her, in here have heard it. For me, it's not why, it's what now. Um, what now, Lord? Not what now in the sense of, oh my gosh, what now? But what now in the sense of, okay, if you know my heart, like you said, is functioning at 30%, I was a pretty active 57, six, was that 56 or 56 year old? <laughs> I think it was. I just turned 60. Just so, yeah. go with it, whatever. Uh, whatever that it. is. Um, you know, I had a lot of activities that I did at a pretty high level and they've been reduced pretty greatly. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm still able to do some of them. You know, one of the great ones I love to do is water ski. And, you know, the buddies I ski with say, you know, Dunning, not, not that I complain, but, you know, just shut up. You know, you're almost 60, you've had seven heart procedures, and you're still skiing through a slalom course. Mm. So give it a rest. Um, <laughs> so I do. I, I take it all in, in, in stride. But just being able to, to encourage when I talk to somebody, I, I had an opportunity to talk to the Young Life group in Corvallis when our daughter was on staff down there. I um, talked to the college group about my experience and unbeknownst to me, there was a young gal in the front row that was almost going through the same thing I had went through mm. and still wanting to know from God, what is the next step? Um, and then just hearing from other people that I don't even know through, you know, what our, you know, kids think I'm part of the Christian mafia because there's somebody somewhere praying for me somewhere. Um, and I've heard of that where, you know, somebody is talking to somebody else and yeah, I heard about you and I was just praying for you. Um, so, you know, similar to your story, I'm sure you hear of those stories that, uh, you don't even know that that prayer is going on and then you're, you're the recipient of that. And it does humble you to know that someone, you know, when they say they're going to, cause you all hear it. Oh yeah, I'll pray for you. Really, are you? And then you hear that, yeah, I did pray for you. Um, and here's the results. Thank you for letting us know. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. a continue. We're, we're still in, in it. I mean, there's 
uh, potential for a transplant. I think the next time they open me up, it's going to be closed by Velcro. Mm. Um, I don't know how much more um, it can handle. Um, <clears throat> but we are in the, uh, I'm, I'm learning to become, uh, you know, we're alumni of Oregon State, so I'm learning to become a potential University of Washington Husky because the, the, the transplant will happen up there. <laughs> I think there's some Huskies in the room. <clears throat> so I'm learning to to uh, go with purple and gold versus orange and black. Um, so we're still in the process of that. We're still, and I'd say, you know, step 10 of 162 steps maybe. Um, so it is a process that we're yeah. going through. We did get, you know, my share with Adam on Wednesday, I came for my first time and was able to go to a staff meeting just because, mm -hmm. you know, work got in the way and was never able to go. And Adam was sharing with the staff and I go, Adam, I just got a phone call five minutes before we got here that one of the roadblocks that the University of Washington was giving us was basically removed. Wow. Um, so another answer to prayer there is that, you know, the, the process is beginning to continue to, to increase. You know, yeah. we're a ways away, um, but the light at the end of the tunnel isn't necessarily a big train coming at us anymore. It's a little smaller train, I think. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we're still, we have two daughters and they're encouraged by it. I mean, they've heard me say so many times, kiddos, it's not why, it's what now. Yeah. Um, and they're living into that same experience for them mm. as they experience through their young lives as well. Yeah, amen, amen. Can we say thank you to Chris too? And it's me. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. All right. Good. It's not God, not why, but what now? What a great lesson. Okay, let's read the passage now. Will you pull out your Bible and look? I'm going to read for you the entire text from James, and then I'm going to take a few minutes, and we're going to talk about it. James 5, we'll see this now in context, starting in verse 13. Here's what James said. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. What an amazing text, huh? What I want you to know this morning, River West, is that it's not an accident that James, as he brings to a close his portrait of living faith, which is the theme we've been developing, portrait of living faith, it's not an accident that James finishes that portrait with a focus on prayer. And if you were to pay attention when you're reading that text, every single verse in the paragraph we're gonna to study today is about prayer. The noun or the verb form of prayer shows up in every verse. It's clearly the theme. And the reason for that is because the way we pray says a lot about our faith, right? It says a lot about our faith. You can tell a lot about the faith of a local church 
simply by watching the way they pray. Just watch and see. Prayer is like the way we pray. It's like a window that gives you a view into what, are, what, are, what does this community actually believe about God? I remember when Kathy and I, back in the spring of 2006, when we, when we were candidating at River West, I came up for a weekend to be interviewed. And one of the f- very first things that struck me about this church was how much people prayed. It, it, it was like very, it left a huge impression on me. Kathy and I had, we had stepped out in faith um, before we even knew what we were doing. We actually both felt like we were supposed to quit our jobs in Eugene. So you can imagine the conversation with my parents when I said to them, mom and dad, I quit my job. Oh, really? Do you have something lined up? Well, not exactly. Oh, great. Okay. So we had both quit our jobs and we got connected somehow to River West. And I, I came for a weekend to be interviewed. And what I experienced was that in every single conversation with an elder, with a staff member, with a member of the church body, at some point, every conversation, the River West member would stop and say, let's pray about that together. That left a huge impact on me. Amazing. Here's my one sentence summary of everything that James says about prayer in this verse. I'm going to put it on the screen so you can see it. A church filled with living faith will constantly pray with genuine expectation that God is going to do something miraculous, okay? That God's going to show up in power. That's how you know. There there is living faith in this church. They are constantly praying and they're constantly praying with genuine expectation. I chose that word constantly because if you'll notice in verse 13, James basically says, no matter what your circumstances, the thing you do with it is you pray. Pray when you're hurting, pray when you're happy, pray when you're sick and everything in between. The answer to every circumstance in your life and in our life as a gathered church is we pray. It doesn't mean it's the only thing we do. It just simply means it's the first thing we do. So we pray constantly. Amen? Amen? Isn't that good? And then I chose the word expectation. And this is what I really want to focus on this morning. I chose the word expectation because James says that divine healing ought to be a regular aspect of your experience together as the people of Christ. Did you notice that in the passage? If we, if we were to just take James at face value, James says healing is a part of the normal work of the church when you're together. Folks, this is really astounding, okay? James is writing this letter to these churches. They're scattered in the, in the ancient world. And he's, he ends his letter by stirring them to faith and prayer. And, and he reminds them, remember, God is a healer. God is powerful. And you should be praying like that all of the time. Never, never overly shocked when God shows up in power and miraculously heals someone. I love this. And I imagine that 
when, the, when these churches read this letter and they read this last paragraph, it stirred them up and it renewed their commitment to be a church of prayer, which is exactly what I hope God will do in our church throughout this Sunday as we preach. Now, this passage is notoriously difficult to interpret, okay? It is notoriously difficult to interpret and it's really difficult to apply, especially verses 14 and 15. And if you've been around Christianity for a while, you also probably know that this passage has been the cause of some really dangerous doctrine and some really harmful practices by certain sects, certain ministries, uh, especially in our nation, that have harmed a lot of people. And you say, well, what, what's difficult about it? Well, a couple things I wanna, I wanna just talk to you about. The text appears to set elders apart as more effective prayers. And the question is, is that actually true? Okay. But that's not, the only, that's not the only difficulty. The text also appears to guarantee for people that they will be healed if they follow this procedure. And now you notice I'm using the word appears very intentionally here, okay? And then the, and then the third sort of snag is that the text appears to intertwine physical illness with sin and maybe even more specifically, unconfessed sin. So we, we have a couple of knots we need to untangle here. And that's what I wanna do for just a couple minutes. And I'm gonna start with this part about the elders. Look at it in your own Bible there, verse 14. Why does James specifically single out the elders and say, when you are ill, if you're ill, call on the elders of your church. Some have suggested that the reason for this is that the prayers of the elders must be more effective than those of the rest of the members of the church. The problem with that is that James immediately goes on in verse 16 to apply all of these principles to every member of a church family. So we know that he's not, he's not saying that there's, there's certain people in your church who are way more powerful at praying than others because eventually he's gonna call the whole church to a kind of prayer ministry, one to another. I think that there are three reasons that James says this to churches. When you are really ill, call on the elders. I think there's three reasons. And what I wanna say, to, what I'm about to say to you, I think is incredibly wise. Not my wisdom, James's wisdom. He's giving wisdom to the church. And I think we need to really pay attention here. Here's the first reason. The elders represent the entire church body, okay? We represent the whole church body. When, when you are extremely ill, and no, that's what this passage is about, okay? Don't call the elders with hangnails, all right? We're talking about like really serious life. It's usually life-threatening stuff where you call on the elders. And when that happens, it's simply not practical to have the whole church there in every situation. And a lot of times when we get a phone call, the person is on their deathbed or they're, they're in the hospital. And so when they call, groups of elders or an individual elder will show up. And when we show up to pray, we show up representing all of you to that member of our beloved body of Jesus. And we pray on behalf of the entire church body. The second reason James says call the elders is because calling on the elders connects the sick person 
to the leadership of the church for care and for follow-up. You get connected. Did you notice that it's the sick person who calls on the elders, not the other way around. We, we are not omniscient. We don't know what's, what's going on. You have to reach out to us. And when you do, we will respond. On Wednesday night, we, the elders were meeting and I was kind of previewing what we we're gonna do this Sunday. And one of them said, you realize, Adam, that if you preach on this passage, we're probably gonna get flooded with some requests by people to pray. And I thought, I would rather spend my time praying for people in the church than talking about our mask policy anymore. Amen, all right? That's what I want to do in the gathering of the elders. I'd rather spend my time praying for people in our church. So please, like, it always, it always shocks me when we find out that someone has been wrestling with a terminal illness and we never heard about it. Now, James instructs the elders in verse 14. Look at it. He says, he tells the elders, pray over that sick person. That implies most likely laying hands on them, anointing the person with oil in the name of the Lord. And here's what I want you to know. We obey this teaching in our church, at River West Church, we obey this teaching. So if someone in our church calls in the elders, they're, they're wrestling with something, an illness, something really difficult, we invite them in. We practice this passage exactly as it's given to us. We invite them in. By the way, if you wanna, if you wanna reach out to the elders on our webpage on the leadership tab, there's a, a list of all the elders with our pictures and there's an email that you could, at any point you could reach out to us. We invite you to come or we go, we'll go to you depending on what's happening. Often what we do in that moment is we, we sit with the person who is struggling. We read, we'll often read this passage, talk about what's happening. We'll ask some questions, we'll listen discern what are the prayer needs here. And then we will anoint the person with oil. And I just want to talk about that because that part of it for a lot of people, maybe if you're newer to the church or you haven't been around, that sounds a little, what do you mean by anointing with oil? What does that look like? Is that like a full immersion kind of anointing? Is that like, you know, deep frying the Thanksgiving turkey? It's none of that, okay? And the oil is, there's nothing magical about the oil. The oil was, it was probably olive oil. What we often do is we'll just make a, in the form of a cross on, on a person's forehead. In the Old Testament, anointing with oil, it was very common. Kings would be anointed with oil. It was a symbol of God's blessing, that God is, God is with this person. And I've, I've had people come out of a time of prayer and, and say that moment, the anointing with oil, I knew it was symbolic, but it was this palpable sense, God sees me, God sees me. And, and I, I feel the power of this moment. So that, that oil, it's, just a, it's, a, it's a visible symbol of a spiritual reality. God is with you. And these prayers, they matter. And now in that moment, you are connected with the leadership of the church. We know you, we, we've spent time with you. We can follow up with you. There's so much wisdom in this. But here is by far the most important reason, I think James said, call on the elders. And I, I need you to think about this really deeply with me. 
calling on the elders protects the sick person from dangerous doctrine that could do far more damage than any illness could ever do. When you're seriously ill, like life and death serious, the outcome of a prayer meeting where you have been prayed over for healing could have massive ramifications in your life. And in God's wisdom, he makes the connection to the elders so that it puts up these bumpers, almost like doctrinal theological bumpers to protect the person. So that whatever happens, they're, they're, they're allowed to, co to correctly interpret what has happened to them. If you got prayed for and you were miraculously healed in that moment, you would want to be able, you would want help interpreting that experience biblically. And now you're connected with the leadership of your church to help you do that. But the opposite is true. If you are not healed miraculously, you are connected with the leadership of your church so that you can get help and wisdom to biblically interpret what has just happened to you. I've heard countless stories from Christians who were harmed by false teaching around this passage. I sat with a woman once in our church and she told me that in a former church, she had asked for prayer for healing. She was not healed. And the people who prayed for her told her that it was most likely because she had some secret unconfessed sin that she needed to root out. And that haunted her. And she basically walked away from faith because of that doctrine. I know personally a family whose father was diagnosed with terminal cancer and they went to one of these sort of destination prayer and healing centers and the family was prayed over. And after their prayer meeting, the, the people said to them, basically, if you do not experience healing, it will, the only reason it will be is because you, someone in your family did not have enough faith to believe that God could heal you. And the father died a month later and the whole family was haunted by this experience. And now you know, now you know why God in his wisdom would inspire James to say, get connected with godly leadership because you're gonna need help. Because the reality is sometimes sin is a factor. Sometimes you need to deal with sin. Remember David, when David sinned against Bathsheba in the, in the Old Testament and he wrote Psalm 32 and in Psalm 32, he said things like, when, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. David is talking about sin that has resulted in physical ailment. That sometimes happens. And as you spend time in community or as you spend time with the elders, we may sometimes ask, like, is there anything going on that's happening in your life that could be the cause of this illness? But listen very clearly to what I'm about to say to you. It is not always about sin. Jesus' disciples came to him in John 9 when there was a blind man and they asked Jesus, who sinned, 
to cause this man to be blind, his parents or the man? And Jesus said, no one sinned. It's not always about sin, right? And you know what? Sometimes God has other purposes than immediate miraculous healing. Sometimes God works in different ways. That's Chris Dunning's story. That's the Apostle Paul's story. Three times Paul said, I begged God, remove the thorn in my flesh. And what did God say? He said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And so God in his profound wisdom connects people to leadership so that whatever the outcome of that praying, you can walk and, and think biblically about it. Somewhere in our prayers, we have to find a balance between never expecting God to do something miraculous and requiring him to heal on demand. There's a place in the middle, there's balance, right? And James strikes that balance. So I've noticed extremes when it comes to praying. Some people, and maybe I'm about to describe you, some people would never dream of, of reaching out to someone and saying, will you please pray that God will miraculously heal me of this? Maybe you think, you know, God doesn't care about me or God, God doesn't really heal people. And it would never even dawn on you to, to reach out and pray. And I think this teaching would say, no, you should be praying with boldness and believe God, you are so powerful. But on the other extreme, some people pray as if God is obligated to heal. There's a kind of prayer, it, it, it doesn't happen in our church, but it happens other places where it almost encroaches on the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He decides how and when he will work in our world. And all James does is he says, let's bring it back into the mill and find this beautiful balance of praying with great boldness, but also with great humility before a sovereign God. Now, how I want to close is I want to show you that in verse 16, James makes this really important turn in his argument. We look at it, and I'll close with this. He now turns from the elders to the entire church family. This is where you come in, okay? And here's what he says. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That word therefore is a critical word. So what that means is James is now, he's concluding something he's been talking about. And what James does is he says, take all those principles I just talked about, the power of prayer, the power of confession. And James says, now I wanna, I wanna transport all of those principles and place them squarely in the everyday life of every member of the church. We're all called to this kind of prayer ministry. Pastors, elders, yes, staff, yes. Your community group leader, absolutely. Your river leader, most certainly. And every member of River West Church. The ministry James is describing is your ministry, sister or brother. Both to give and receive, okay? You come to this gathering, you come to Christian community 
with a constant need to receive prayer from someone. And you come to this Christian community with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. See that? The prayer of a righteous person. Christians read that and they go, well, that's not me. Wait a minute. That is you. You have the covering of the righteousness of Jesus Christ by God's grace. And your prayers are empowered by that. And every time you come to the gathering, this is what I I, I long for. Every member coming to the gathering, believing someone might need me to pray for them today. I cannot wait to be used by God. Or I need to come to the gathering this morning and I need to receive prayer today. Every time we gather. And so I want to close with a couple of directives to you this morning, and then we're going to worship together. And I'm going to give these in the form of of questions. Okay? When is the last time that you prayed for another brother or sister in our church? When's the last time? You were sitting in community group. You were sitting in in the river group. You were here on a Sunday morning and someone shared something really heavy and vulnerable and, and you saw the opportunity and you stopped and you said, can I just pray for you? When's the last time you did that? Because the James 5 prayer ministry is your ministry. Okay? When's the last time you opened your life to a sister or brother in our church? and said, I need prayer. When's the last time you, you, you came over and, and asked for prayer from our prayer team? The prayer team is, is back this morning. We've relaunched the prayer ministry at River West Church and they're going to appear over there as I pray by another miracle of God. They're just gonna show up over there, okay? Because <laughs> God's a miracle worker and I, I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are so many people here this morning who need prayer. When's the last time you, you took that walk and said, God, I'm just gonna go in faith? When's the last time you opened up to a sister or brother and said, I just need to be honest with you about some sin in my life and, and just have you pray for me? Friends, that is so powerful when we do that with each other, to talk openly and honestly about our lives. Perhaps someone here needs to reach out to the elders right now. And, and ask for some prayer. We invite you. We, we long for this. And so, what a fitting way to bring James to an end, isn't it? A vision of prayer. The kind of prayer that's bold and expectant and constant. How I long for this in our church family. And I want to invite you into it. River West. And we're going to pray about that right now. I'm going to have the worship team come. Will you bow your heads with me and let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we are so thankful, Father, for our study in James. It's been rich. It has been practical. It has been helpful. We've been called to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. And this morning is no different. How I thank you for this profound teaching and how I pray that it would stir up in our church family a greater commitment to be people of prayer. I'm so thankful, Lord, for each and every one who's here today. You have put Christian faith in their hearts and their lives. You've covered each one with your righteousness, Lord Jesus.
And you've given us a ministry together, a ministry to pray constantly, to confess and pray for one another and to expect healing. And how we thank you for that, Lord. I pray this morning for any who are here who have come to the realization over the last few moments that they need prayer. Maybe for you, that is, you're realizing, I've not turned my life over to Jesus. And that needs to happen today in my life. How I'm praying for you. Just come at the end of our service, receive prayer from someone. Maybe God is stirring something up in your life that you need to share with a brother or sister. I'm praying for you. Respond to that in faith. We love you, Lord. We love you. And we're so thankful to worship you together today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.